waits. Again, we come before that word, waiting. Again, it's that word that, that summarizes what is for us, not only in just this new year, but, but in every new year. We wait. And if we think about the scope of the entirety of our life, that certainly is a word that has always been a part of our vocabulary, even if we couldn't speak the word. From the moment of conception, we wait. For nine months, we wait to be born. After birth, your children, perhaps not patiently, wait to be fed, wait to be held, wait to be changed. As young parents, we're waiting. We're waiting for them to crawl. We're waiting for them to walk. We're waiting for them to talk. And then we're waiting for them not to talk. In school, we're taught to wait in line to wait with your hand raised, to wait our turn, to wait for the bus, to wait for the end of class, to wait for the end of the day. We wait for birthdays, we wait for vacations, we wait for mail, for grades, for packages. We wait for that table ever so patiently. We wait. And while already there is that bit of saying, well, I don't like that, or I don't want to, or wouldn't a world be far greater where we didn't have to, Each and every one of those moments that you've had to wait, and I want you to think about that even in this past week. Perhaps you're sitting here tonight waiting on the Lord, waiting for something. But every every opportunity to wait comes an opportunity to say, isn't this wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to wait in a context where God is faithful? Isn't it wonderful to wait on one who will always do what he says? Isn't it great to be able to wait, having hope that is sure and fixed? Isn't it wonderful that the Lord has given us an opportunity to learn patience? And that sounds great. And even reading it in a manuscript, that sounds great. But already, even in my own mind, I confess, I'm already saying, well, not really. I know all of these things to be true, but I don't really so much want to wait. In fact, oftentimes in waiting is a time that we're struggling. That's why we want it to be over. I want this discomfort. I I, I want this problem. I I want this thing, Lord, that I've been calling out to you to to be done with. Let's, Let's get to the next thing. I can't wait for that. But yet we still wait. And some of that struggle is because we're so wrapped up in our agendas and plans and schedules that I'm not concerned at all with, Lord, what's your time frame? And how are you being glorified? And, and what's your will in this? And, and how is my waiting perhaps even not about me, but about any number of other people who, who need to wait with me? No, instead we get easily frustrated. Maybe you start hearing some of your kids as they get older, it's, it's different issues, but, but even then, so much of our children, when they come to us to, to complain or they're wrestling with things, it, it's all about waiting. Why am I not getting taller as fast as the other kids? Why don't I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend yet? Why haven't I heard from the college I want to attend? Why is everybody getting married and I'm not? Why is everyone having kids but I'm not? Why haven't I been able to find the job that I love? 
Why am I sick so much? Why hasn't this treatment worked yet? Why do I feel so lonely? Why doesn't this grief go away? Why does this hurt? Why does this persecution? Why does this valley? Why does this hardship keep going as though it's never going to stop? Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take courage. And wait on the Lord. That's what we got. But have you thought that perhaps God is saying to us, even in the words that we read here in Psalm 25, because what we see is David being very raw and very honest, as though God is still saying to him, isn't it wonderful that I've given you this opportunity to learn patience? And so with all of that introduction, what is it going to mean for us? Or what is it going to look like for us to wait on the Lord. I mean, it's fine to say that on a, on a New Year's Day and we're all wrapped up with an intense focus on all of the things that we've already planned, that, that this year is going to be way better than next year and we're already sitting here a week in saying, is it? Will it be different? Will it be better? Will it? We don't know. But we know God and we know that he will be faithful and his will will be done and he will be glorified. Is that enough? Can I be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future have good confidence that no creature will separate me from his love? Can I really have Lord's Day 10? Am I waiting patiently and confidently? Because that isn't just an option for the Christian, it's what we're called to. It's a part of our love for the Lord. Do we trust him? And so what are you waiting for? Because that waiting is crucial and a vital and necessary part of your Christian experience. This time of waiting that you're in right now, whatever that might be, is a show of the goodness of God to you. So yes, it is wonderful for this opportunity to learn patience. Because as we see in Psalm 25, the Lord teaches us submission and humility as we wait patiently upon him. That's what this year needs to look like for us. And so David shows us how, and again, in his own way of his own wrestling, to wait upon God for his faithfulness in verses 1 through 7, his ways or his paths in verses 8 through 15, and then for his grace in the conclusion, verses 16 through 22. And so we're waiting. And I'm so very thankful to the Lord that here in this psalm and a number of others, and I've referenced that in sermons gone by, that that there are any number of psalms where you look and say, I would really like to know what that was all about. I'd really like to know exactly what David was going through and how this references. But it doesn't. And so that's the joy of being able to come back to Psalm 25, because no matter the circumstances, we can trust that default that God will be faithful. Whatever I'm waiting on in the Lord, that isn't going to change. And I pray that that is an encouragement to you. His steadfast love will never cease. His mercies will never come to an end. They're going to be new tomorrow morning when you smash your phone for that next snooze there's going to be mercy because he's faithful. 
promise is always true, promise is always kept. And this is what drives David to him, not away from him. This is where our life, in terms of waiting on the Lord, says, I need to go to him. If any of this is going to make sense in the way that we talked to this morning, everything adhering in Christ, I need to come to you. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Don't let me be ashamed for that. Don't bring me to some end that's the reversal of what I've just confessed. This is the reality. I wait on a covenant-keeping God who keeps me, and I can trust him implicitly. That's the point. As we wait, I know, Lord, you will never let me down. You will never keep what, never break what you've promised. But we all know this. Like, that's the hurt sometimes in looking at the psalm because nothing David writes in those first two verses is anything new. But my heart still rebels against that. I struggle with sin and doubt. Like here, even in Psalm 25, David is almost writing this as though, Lord, I know the right answers. I know your word. I know who you are. But now what? I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid of what's going to come. I'm still afraid of what you're doing right now. I'm afraid of what's going to come. Let not my enemies exalt over me. And so David makes plain his struggle. Don't let me fall into sin during my time of waiting. Don't don't let my enemies cause me to, to be led away from your truth and promise. That's why I'm confidently asserting these things. So what do we turn to? But more, what are we going to turn away from and turn to? And so David continues to bring the same. We're going to turn to his word. We're going to turn to his promise. We're going to turn to his faithfulness because we turn to a God who is always at work and who is always caring for us. And it's why David prays so confidently in his waiting. Verse 3, indeed. Again, he's trying to pump himself up again. Indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. Not put to shame because of who you are, not put to shame because of what you've promised, not put to shame because what you are working right now. You are going to be faithful. You cannot deny yourself. So I can trust that those who seek my ruin will come to nothing. That's David's assertion. So how will that inform your waiting? Because again, while we don't know the circumstance, we know this is a circumstance enough to need to come to the Lord and cling to that promise and speak it again in order that he might be reminded of the same. Well, I think it's in this way. Even as the Lord has been faithful to us, he wants us to be faithful to him. You see, that's the call. And we make it all sorts of complicated. How do I wait on the Lord in this year? In his faithfulness, go and be faithful. It's not hard. Times of waiting are opportunities that the Lord uses to drive us to his faithfulness. 
And he says, are you going to be faithful? Will you live that confession faithfully? Because you say you'll love, you love me. You say that you'll follow me when everything's coming up roses. Life is good and the honeymoon is real and all of that joy is there and we're walking on sunshine or whatever other drivel we sing, right? But clouds are going to come and storms come and difficulties come. Will you love me and follow me in your impatience and your struggle? You say you'll trust me. Do you really? Then show me. Submit to my will and way. Submit to a long road of obedience in the same direction. Be faithful. Humble yourself before my word. So that our waiting brothers and sisters would mirror that and bring us before a faithful father praying verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your way, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. That's not going to change. No matter what changes, that doesn't. For you I wait all the day long. That is all that I do. That is all that I will be given. That is my task. Wait on the Lord. Because the ways of a covenant-keeping God, a faithful covenant-keeping God, lead me to blessing. And probably not in the stuff of this world, but blessing nonetheless. So teach me, Lord. Teach me what I need to learn. Guide me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help me to submit to your will in true humility. Help me to rest in your total faithfulness as my total Savior. In the trust that you will deliver me now and forever. That's why we have hope. And you can have hope for a new year because he's faithful. And in faithfulness, he remembers us. And even in the struggle of our sin, he says, I'll remember that no more. That's why David can ask, verse 6, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they've been from of old. There isn't a time in David's life where he hasn't known that. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Restore the joy of my salvation. Because I trust that you're faithful to do that. That his goodness, brothers and sisters, is made plain in the simple truth of his faithfulness. So in your waiting, submit in true humility in that way. I know who God is, and he is nothing but faithful. That in the midst of your crises and storms, you can trust, you have hope. I don't know where I'm going, but you do. I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. And so I can wait patiently upon you knowing that you will make your faithfulness known to me in your time as you show me your ways and your paths and that in the second place. And yet, again, the struggle is twofold because we tend to doubt because of sin and the dismissing of his word. 
But oftentimes, simply in terms of that sin, we're super and wickedly selfish. Because I, I don't want to wait because I know a better way. Like, we don't want to listen to the teacher's explanation because I already think I know how to do it. And so I don't want to wait. We know what we want and when we want it, but many times that's not what God wants. And so he's calling us then not only to wait, but to do so with patience so that we would better know his way and take the time to understand his leading to better know his plan. Have you ever thought that sometimes we just need to wait because, frankly, we're not ready to hold what our heart desires? That as a young boy for a long time, I wanted to watch. And not some, like, dinky little, like, digital thing or whatnot. Like, I wanted to watch. Not necessarily a proper timepiece, but nonetheless a watch. And so this was a big deal. And my dad said, well, son, I, I, don't, I don't think you're ready yet. Like, come on, Dad, like, I want to watch. And so, in his kindness, he got me a watch for Christmas. And I proceeded very quickly to lose that watch. I wasn't ready. Now, thankfully, it was found somewhere in the recesses of my uncleaned or sort of stashed under the bedroom at some point several weeks later. But that was a problem in my own heart. I knew what I wanted, and my father knew better, but I didn't want to wait, and I didn't want to submit, and I didn't want to learn, and I didn't want to grow up. And so sometimes in our lives, we're not ready to hold what our heart wants. And that's a blessing. There's a blessing at times to be told that. You have to wait. But oftentimes we haven't learned to submit yet. And we're anything but humble. And yet again, if you think about it, many of the best things in life improve with age. I mean, certainly that's true about us parents, right? Like, we're all getting better. But there's improvement. And there's blessing. And hopefully we learn wisdom that isn't just shown by gray hair. No, we wait for them to age, to mature. We wait for flavors to marry. I mean, you bake a loaf of bread and it's sitting there and steaming and you're like, man, I want to hack that thing open right now and smear it like crazy with butter. But if I just wait, everything will gelatinize exactly right and the crumb will be great and it will still have all of that aroma and it will taste amazing. But I got to wait. I don't want to wait but it's going to be better if you wait. If you seek to enjoy things too quickly, it's no good. Whatever it is will be ruined. So waiting leads to full enjoyment and blessing. If we could just remember it, to just think about it, that it is gracious then that the Lord makes us wait. At times painfully so, calling us just to, to do it patiently and submissively and humbly in the sheer trust of just knowing he's good and he's faithful and he's kind and he knows what he's doing and his way for me is perfect. 
And he keeps showing it again and again. First, a good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his way. He's doing this to teach you. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. He's always good. He proves it by way of covenant love. And because of that, he's not giving us that blessing to leave us to become infinitely selfish or jaded in impatience. No, he instructs us. He's kind to show us the way to wait. Even as he is ever patient with us when we don't. And so he calls us again back to that way of patience. To that path of submission that is always best. But do we? Maybe right now, you're bucking hard against the direction of the Lord. I don't want to wait. I want to enjoy whatever that is right now. If it's outside the will of the Lord, there is no enjoyment and there is no blessing in that. But there are also those times that we wait in life between things that are both good. And we don't know, Lord, what would you do? What, I, I've come to this fork in the road, and do I choose the road less traveled? What? And sometimes, and maybe parents say that to you, well, maybe you just need to sleep on it. Maybe you need to think about it for a while. You know, that shirt with a terrible pattern on it that you thought would look awesome, and your mom says, hey, you know what? Maybe you should wait. Just taking the time. But as we come before our Heavenly Father, we can say, has he ever steered us wrong? <laughs> has any of his plan for us ever steered us in the wrong direction? No. And so by his Spirit, he is desiring, even in those moments, to lead us into all truth so that we would see it in every part of our lives, even in that waiting. And so it's why when the struggle and wait is most difficult, we get to see the way of his love and faithfulness all the more clearly, all the more acutely, because he draws near. And all of those paths and all of that waiting leads to one singular point. Verse 10, all the paths, all the ways of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. If that's the way we will walk and wait, we will not but be able to see his goodness and faithfulness. And so the words for us provide a clue as to the reason ultimately for that waiting and struggle. Because I can't keep the demands of his covenant. And you can't either. We don't keep his testimonies. We break his covenants. And yet his way, his paths involve what? The Lord, patient and kind and long-suffering for us, waits to send the deliverer promised by the covenant at just the right time to come and to live and to keep his demands for us so we could have life and walk in thankfulness and assurance according to his ways. That David here in the psalm is already speaking his comfort in his son, the son, even Jesus Christ, and to the salvation by which he and we may be saved, that his time of waiting now has humbled himself before the Lord, that he might cry out, verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He sees it more clearly now. 
and more his need for the Lord to be the Lord. And so perhaps in your waiting right now, you do not have the desire of your heart because the Lord is not that desire. Perhaps your struggle right now is real because the way that you're going is not a path of blessing but of curse. Maybe he's called you to wait because you need to be humbled. And for some of us, that takes a lot longer than for others. But when we're brought back into that path, when we're brought again to the way of the Lord, humbled and brought into submission in his will, in repentance and faith, we're brought to know the humble beginnings of what it is to fear the Lord and to be mindful of his awe and power, but also with eyes enlivened to see his love and his concern for us. You are a good father. You knew I wasn't ready. You knew I had other things to learn. You knew that sin needed to be put to death. And so now, in a way and timing that I would have never planned for myself, you've made it all good. Because it was always good. He brings us along the way of waiting because it's best for us. For the one he has chosen especially for us. It's a way of great blessing. And so verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. Here now is that direction. You've waited upon me, hear me. His soul shall abide in well-being. So even that, he's not talking physically now. Like, like that's the joy and the wonder here. His soul shall abide in well-being. That has nothing to do with his circumstances. Lord, you could choose to change everything. You could choose to change nothing. My soul in relationship with you stands fast in your way. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. You will be faithful to your covenant. You're going to keep your word. And so that's the call, even as we talked a little bit on New Year's Day, to an active and patient waiting. So that both, right? We seek him as we wait. We want to know his weight and we'll wait upon him for it. We want to know love and blessing and faithfulness. And so we come to him for it. I want to know this. Reveal yourself to me anew in the wonder of your word and spirit and promise. For the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Praise the Lord for the times where he shows you in his grace what he's doing. That's a blessing in his word. Praise him for the grace sometimes of seemingly being so in the dark and wondering, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing, but I trust in you. Because in that moment, you'll be reminded over and over of his faithful promises that you might humbly and submissively wait on the way of the Lord. And focus yourself in the path that you are walking simply upon him. And in those moments where we stumble, and we're going to, and we try to run out before him, 
and get tripped up by sin and impatience? He says, I'll restore you again. Verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. I don't think that's just of his enemies. I think sometimes that's his own stumbling. His way is always the best way. And so as we run down the path and see what he has for us, and it causes us to stumble and fall, he says, my word's a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. My path is a way of blessing. Trust me. And wait upon me that I will show you exactly how far and exactly how much I need to for you to wait upon me. And yet David still feels the tension because just when that waiting, that struggle and that hardship seem to be completely insufferable, far too much for us to bear, we're given the opportunity to wait on his grace and that in the last place because our reflex in this waiting, and maybe you're already there on January 7th, this long and arduous waiting through the year 2024 now leads us already to ask, why? Or where is God? And so he's brought you again on this first Sunday of a new year to his promise, to the ironic blessing that we'll hear later, where the Lord promises to lift up the light of his countenance and face upon us and give us peace. His light brings peace. But you're saying my waiting seems to coincide with days of perceived darkness. I feel as though I'm waiting alone. That there's no one to help me. It's what leads to sin when we lose patience and seek to go about things our own way. And so what David longs for is not that. Well, I, I know the, the propensity of my heart. I, I know where I will go. So Lord, if I must wait, then wait with me. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Because when we're waiting on him, we become so much more aware of the grace that we need, of the care and provision that we need, which is ultimately saying, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's the moment. That when we feel as though we're all alone or that no one has gone through or is going through what we are, that's when we need the light of that abundant grace to be poured out. That in submitting to the hand of the Lord, we'd not only persevere by that same grace, but that grace would open our eyes and open our hearts and open our lives to others who are suffering or to those who come alongside to bear our burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Or those who come in compassion saying, I have no idea what you're going through, but I love you and I'm with you even as the Lord loves you and is with you. And so for David, his waiting was made much more difficult by guilt. His struggle to make sure that he's not cutting himself off from the Lord. Sin, worrying, doubting, going our way, all of these things lead us away from the ways of the Lord and being mindful of his faithfulness. And so David confesses his need for grace to persevere. And so must we. What we are and all that we are is only about his amazing grace. And so David offers a description of life that needed much grace. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out. Bring me out of my own. 
Because that's what's going to happen, right? I am just so caught up in my own struggle and my own hurt, and I want everybody to go away, and I complain that everything is darkness and no light, and I have nobody with me. Get out. Get out of your own heart. Lord, bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. So it's saying, don't eat this. Don't just stay there and dwell there. Come out to say, yes, this is the physical reality. This is the reality of the struggle all about me. That even in being assured of the Lord's forgiveness, we can struggle with shame and guilt forgetting that the Lord has removed these things far from us in grace. But that waiting gives us the time again to refocus on Him and praise Him for the grace that He grants to us and the care that He provides. That waiting patiently in that kind of humility out of ourselves and unto Him, a submission to Him and to Him alone, produces greater trust in the only one who is able to carry us through. Verse 20, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. I've got no one else. I have nowhere else to go. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Waiting upon a refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Because he's a redeemer who's purchased us in the blood of his dear son, Jesus, which indeed redeems us from all our troubles now and forever, granting us the hope and confidence we need each day to follow that path and humbly trust and rely on him. So children of God, the Lord will bring you into times where you need to wait. Are you going to still be impatient? Are you still going to trust in yourself? Stop. (laughs) Instead, trust. Submit to the will and way of the Lord, mindful of his great faithfulness, humbling yourself in his mercy, for he's redeemed you in Christ. He's called you his child. He will care for you and bring you to himself in glory. So trust him to do that, that we might be those, no matter our current circumstances, no matter how long we need to wait in this waiting room, who will rest in his promises and stand firm in his redemption. Indeed, Father, redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. He will do that. So may we, in the grace that he provides, patiently wait for it. Wait for him in Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word for the care for us that you provide in it. And Lord, that reminder that in the waiting that we will do upon you in this new year, Father, for all of the years that you will afflict us with, that we will do so in humble dependence upon you, trusting in you, waiting for you. Because your faithfulness is great, your ways and paths are glorious, and your grace is amazing. Father, as we care for each other in these things, as we bear each other's burdens, as we are here, we are present for one another. Lord, speak peace into our hearts in grace. Father, thank you 
that we can be a care and give care and concern to those who are hurting, to those who need rest, to those that need to be reminded of great promises. Father, we're thankful for the work that goes on at Hugs Ranch to that end. That, Lord, people in seeing the wonder of what you've made and how you care for it and what you've created, Father, could be led to saving faith in Christ. And so, Father, would you bless the ranch? Would you care for it through our gifts? And, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we do present that offering.